Well, welcome back uh, to another edition of the Boilers Extra podcast uh, on jconline.com and through SoundCloud. Mike Carmen uh, covers Purdue sports for the Journal and Courier newspaper and jconline.com. Purdue getting ready to take on Notre Dame uh, this week. First time since 2014 the in-state rivals will play. And Purdue's first trip to South Bend uh, to play football since 2012. So we've had a, a nine-year gap. Uh, as far as a is that concerned, or you know, uh, eight year gap, I guess when you're talking about home and homes. But uh, it's good to have the the series back. I think Purdue fans have been looking forward to it. For Notre Dame, I just you know every game Notre Dame plays is a rivalry for the other team, so it's not <laughs> they they see this every week, so this is nothing new for for them. Uh, joining us today, Tim O'Malley he works for the Irish Illustrated. Uh, he's got a good Irish name to work for a publication that writes about the Irish. So it's not the first time he's heard that. It's not the last time he'll hear that. But Tim, welcome to the to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. All right. Uh, let's first of all just talk about where Notre Dame's at after two games. Uh, yes, they are two and zero, but they've played two close games. Uh, so the fan base probably feels like it's zero and two, and there's no hope in sight. Uh, but just kind of your your pulse on where things are at after two games uh, and what what you've what you've seen uh, from the Irish in in wins over Florida State and Toledo. Yeah, I think if you're looking for a surprise, uh, it is that the defense has folded in two fourth quarters. You know, if you follow Notre Dame, and I'm not going to say people thought the offensive line would be this porous, but we did believe the offensive line would be a weakness going in that would have to be worked on. Now the defense, my co-writer, our, our publisher. Uh, Tim Priester did a study, 137 plays for Notre Dame's defense. On 133, the opponents averaged 3.4 yards per play. On the other four, 280 yards allowed. So you can wow. see uh, what's going on. It's the, the gash plays are killing them. It's they've, they've allowed four plays of over 60 yards. That's how many Clark Lee's defense allowed in his three seasons coordinating at Notre Dame. He allowed three. It is... A remarkable change. Brian Kelly's called it a transitional period for the defense because it is attack, 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 attack. And of course, if you attack and you do not have Deion Sanders and Daryl Green at cornerback, sometimes those attack plays turn into 60 yard gains. And I think the biggest problem for Notre Dame going forward will will not be the defensive front. I think they'll get the, the run defense under control. Uh, they'll start fitting those gaps that the safeties have given up. Really, it's been the safeties that have given up 60-yard runs. But I do wonder if a team that can throw the ball will not continually uh, find a way to move the ball on Notre Dame because, look, Toledo's first four possessions in the second half are three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. And yet, right after that, you get a 67-yard gain, you get a 60-yard gain. I mean, it is it, it's, it can cripple a defense, I think, over the long haul if you don't make the plays in space that Marcus Freeman is kind of demanding these, play, these players make individually. Yeah, that kind of segues into my next uh, question slash thought is that Marcus Freeman, Purdue fans are familiar with him. He worked down here under Daryl Hazel, and w- we could tell he 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 was a kind of he was going to be a bright upcoming star in the yeah, business. Yeah. Uh, you know, then he then he goes to Cincinnati after Daryl was uh, let go here. But um, I, I understand it's just two games, but <laughs> how much leeway is he going to have here if these big plays keep coming up? You know, he he recruited so well upon arrival. <laughs> Marcus Freeman, immediately the uh, the fan base gravitated to him. If you were going to have a, a weakness for Clark Lee, it probably would have been his recruiting in terms of star power. Now, he developed players, obviously, because they had three great defenses under him. Um, 
I think he's got a lot of leeway until they lose. You know, people are kind of. I think if you kind of just study a little more, if you're if you're a fan, you realize, boy, there's a lot of positives coming out of this defense too, and you got to give them a little bit of leeway. The, the problem is, I think Notre Dame fans expected Freeman to hit the ground running and to have Notre Dame really control these first two games, and you know they control more plays than they don't. Like I, I chart, I charted the last game, and if there there were 68 plays against Notre Dame, 42 of them were positive for Notre Dame. 22 were, were not, and it's like you, you should be able to get away from a team in that way, you know. And, and I don't mean 60 yard plays or anything like that, just as positive and negatives for, for a defense. You'd think they'd be doing better um, defensively. If Purdue goes out and puts up 30, even in a loss, I think it's it's just going to be a situation where Brian Kelly would have to kind of reevaluate the personnel versus the scheme that's being run because. It would be untenable to think that Notre Dame's not going to get held down with this offensive line once in a while win every game in the 30s. Right. I mean, obviously, Purdue's strength is throwing the ball uh, because they've struggled to run it, and, and now they've lost their what what we thought would be their leading rusher this year in Xander Horvath. Uh, and I, you know, my personal feeling is if Purdue's going to win this game, it's going to have to throw the ball uh, a lot and try to get their playmakers in space and try to create their big plays that way how much of a concern is Purdue's passing game uh as as we sit midweek here yeah I, I mean I think that is the key to the game and it would probably behoove Purdue and Plummer to throw 45 50 times because Notre Dame is going to get pressure they're going to create a lot of negatives uh for Purdue's offense but if you create pressure on 17 snaps and get four sacks but Plummer's able to hit David Bell for two 45-yard gains, and you're able to move the ball down the field with your tight ends and on screen passes to kind of catch the Irish being too aggressive, that's how you get points. I, I, I do think Notre Dame's defense on a play-to-play basis is, is going to be really good this year, It's but there's a playmaker like Bell, and if they're just kind of dedicated to, we're going to run the ball enough to be efficient, I think that's how you approach going against Notre Dame's defense right now. The weakness is, is probably the other safety in the two corners. Um, Kyle Hamilton's an All-American back there at safety. He did miss the tackle that went for 60 yards in the last game, but I mean, the guy makes plays all over the field, so every once in a while you're going to miss a tackle. But uh, I think they can attack Notre Dame's back seven, and Notre Dame's linebackers are really good coming forward. They're not as good in coverage, which I do believe a team will eventually kind of expose. They have they stuff the run expertly, but I, I think you can kind of get them in coverage as well with tight ends and back. So. The real way is to be, it's weird to say be patient in the passing game, but those plays are going to present at some point and you're going to have, you're going to have some three and outs and you're going to have, if you're passing on first down, you're probably going to have some second and second and tens that, you know, put you behind the chains. But I, I, I don't think it's a situation where Purdue is going to consistently drive on Notre Dame, but I've, they've, it's kind of been proven. You don't have to consistently drive on Notre Dame to score. Hmm. Interesting because as you're talking, Jeff Brom throughout his career, uh, the one team he has kind of um, done well against from a scheme standpoint is Iowa, where he's found the weak corner, uh, and they have exploited that in their games. And I'm just kind of curious if this is shaping up to be that kind of situation for Purdue that they've, if you you know if if everybody out there can identify you know where the weakness is, yeah. then he he's probably already done that, and it's just now it's a matter of execution and if they can if they can hit some long plays in, in those situations. You know, I'm sure he has because um, their first-time starter, Cam Hart, on the boundary, he's a converted wide receiver. He's a bigger receiver, so he's really good against the run on the boundary. He's a rugged player. Um, he was benched on the last drive 
for Tariq Bracey, who used to start last year. Now, Tariq Bracey was benched last year after the Clemson game for Clarence Lewis, who was a freshman. He is starting. He Lewis is the best of the three, I would say. Bracey, Bracey can be as a senior. He's played a lot of football for Notre Dame. Um, he's had a good year this year. I don't want to say he's better than Clarence Lewis because, you know, Bracey was benched for a couple games for a reason and, and as a junior versus a freshman. But I think uh, Brom has already decided that Cam Hart is where he's going to go because Hart is a pretty good football player, but maybe not someone that can turn and run. I know he can't turn and run and really move his hips with David Bell. You wonder if they were just going to rule coverage to Bell and, and, and maybe not have Hart in there one-on-one. The, the thing you lose there is, as I said, he's a, he's a piece of the defense because he's he's good on blitzes. He's a good. He's really strong against the run. Um, but, yeah, if, if, I, I think he's he's identified it, and uh, if he didn't have to, all he had to do was watch the last drive where Hart was benched last time. So it, that, that would make it pretty easy for you. Right. Uh, you know, you've, you've alluded to the offensive line, and I've seen it described as a mess and uh, by, other, by other reporters and just kind of the, the – where – I guess first of all, how did they arrive at this point yeah. where the offensive line is in the current state, and the other part is how how do they get out of it now? Yeah, it's 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 a confluence of events. Really, they lost four pros. That's number one. They lose four pros to the line um, that had started for multiple years too. Robert Hainsey started four years. Tommy Kramer started four years. Uh, Liam Eikenberg three, and Aaron Banks three. So not a lot of development behind them. Uh, they might have. They kind of whiffed on a senior class. That is Jarrett Patterson. He's the returning starter at center. Aside from Patterson, they didn't get anything out of that class at the offensive line. The juniors have not yet presented either. So that's your third year in the program. They're all backups right now, except for Zeke Carell, who was converted from center to guard. And not that you want your registered freshman to be playing, but they've had to because they lost their starting left tackle, Blake Fisher, in the first game. He's a true freshman from Indianapolis. They then lost Michael Carmody, their backup, who's a redshirt freshman. And now they have Tosh Baker, who's a redshirt freshman. So they're on their third left tackle, which George Karloftis, I'm sure, has noted at some point this week. (laughs) Because you're on your third left tackle, and your starting left tackle was a true freshman anyway. So you can kind of see where that's gone, but it's not just them. They brought in Cade Madden from Marshall. Uh, He's a graduate transfer. Supposed to solidify a right guard now. He was a group of five All-American last year. So Notre Dame fans logically thought, well, group of five All-American is not better than anybody Notre Dame had last year. But he is the, one of their better you know, options this year. He was not a group of five All-American these first two games. And as we pointed out on our podcast, they did just play a group of five team in Toledo. <laughs> and Kane Man was, was nowhere near the status uh, that, that pro football focuses kind of put on him. They had him as the number one returning guard in the country. And you got to change your scoring system if that's the way it goes, because clearly he is not the number one returning guard in the country. He struggled. And the biggest surprise of all is fifth-year senior starter Josh Lug has struggled at right tackle. He he started last year at two different positions. He's like the reliever last year. He was the sixth man. He started in Robert Hainsey's stead a couple years ago when Hainsey hurt his ankle and was lost for the last five games. We thought Lug would be a solid at worst player, and he has not hit solid yet. They really need Lug and Madden on that side to have um, a better performance going forward because those are the two veterans. Those are the graduates that are 24 and 23 years old. Um, center is very good with Jarrett Patterson, but you cannot, you can't have your graduate students playing as poorly as your rookies on the other side. Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent point. And I, I guess, you know, you mentioned George Karloftis and what what he's done so far in the in the first two games for Purdue, although the stats really don't jump out at you. You have to watch the film to really gauge how well he's played. 
uh, the first two games. Is is this a situation where Purdue, for the first time in a long time, when they're playing Notre Dame, would have an advantage on the defensive line? Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. That time, and they came here in 2012, obviously they didn't have an advantage over the course of the year over that line, but the 2012 Purdue defensive line with Kawan Short and Bruce Gaston, who had his Notre Dame offer pulled by Brian Kelly when he took the job, those guys won. They they won the day, and that's why that game was so close. Um, 20 to 17, Notre Dame win. That was against Zach Martin and Chris Watt, and there's no Zach Martin and Chris Watt out here right now for Notre Dame. But yeah, this is this is the going into that was a surprise at the time. This is well, this would not be a surprise. And just like I think Purdue might get stymied on a lot of drives, but then hit the 40 yard or the 30 yard or the big one to David Bell. I feel like Notre Dame is going to have success offensively. But sometimes when it's third and three or third and four and you take for granted you're going to get it, and all of a sudden it's Karloftis with the pressure or the sack, that ruins drives as well. You don't have to you don't have to be perfect if you're Purdue on defense. I think you can just create enough havoc plays to keep the points down against Notre Dame. It's not like they're going to go out there and hold them 13. But, you know, you can keep this game within range and striking distance or, or like Toledo did. I mean, Toledo was kind of – they didn't score their first offensive touchdown until the fourth quarter, but there they were. You know, they made a defensive play. They, they stayed in the game. And I, I would think Purdue's pressure will be able to do that to Notre Dame unless this offensive line just has a 180 going into the week three. Right. Uh, we're visiting with Tim O'Malley, Irish Illustrated. Uh uh, does a great job covering the Irish uh, uh, for them. Uh, and now well, let's talk about a little bit of a positive for Notre Dame right here. That would be their tight end, Michael Mayer. I mean, I watched the game against Florida State, and, and the first thought in my mind is like, where do they keep finding these guys that are big, 6'5", six, 6'6"? Six, six. They, they look like they've come out of the side of a mountain, and they're just so hard to bring down. I mean, is he just another one in the long line of just talented tight ends that, that has come through Notre Dame? Yeah, we had someone in the program tell us preseason that Michael Mayer was the best player on the team, and then he said, by far. And remember, he's a sophomore tight end. Right. And we're like, we're like well, Kyle Hamilton's an All-American safe. He's like, okay, I shouldn't say by far, but I'm not backing <laughs> off. And it's like, that is amazing. Now, Michael Mayer has been the best player on the team in the first two games for sure. He is, I mean, he's not long for South Bend. He is a sophomore, and there's a wonderful rule in place for Notre Dame fans that he can't leave, so he'll be back next year. But that's it. And offensive coordinator Tommy Reese, who threw to Kyle Rudolph and Tyler Eifert, said preseason that Michael Mayer will be the best tight end in Notre Dame history. And, you know, uh, a lot of Purdue fans remember guys like Dave Casper and Ken McAfee and Mark Bavaro and those guys, too. So just saying those words... um, it's remarkable. He's not a finished product. He's not the best blocking sophomore in the country, I wouldn't think. He probably is the best third-down weapon, um, though, at the position. And Toledo started bracketing him during the game. They stopped in the final drive. He got the game-winning touchdown, drew a pass interference. I mean, he you have to account for Michael Mayer in the passing game with two players, which as a at tight end, that really kind of stresses your corners, I would think, in one-on-one coverage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Purdue's corners have played well, but that they haven't faced this kind of talent. Uh, in their first two games, but it'll be curious to how Purdue approaches this uh, and how aggressive they want to be in, in doing that. So, um, yeah, that that to me that's really a key matchup if they if Purdue somehow can keep him under control. But I, I don't I don't think a lot of teams are going to keep him under control. Uh, Jeff Brom has really harped on Notre Dame's front seven, and you you've alluded to him a little bit. But just how strong is this defensive front? And uh, what kind of difference can they make, not only Saturday, but how much can they carry this defense through the course of the season? Yeah, they're deep. That really helps. Um, They lost their starting 
uh, inside linebacker, and this is going to sound funny, their third-string inside linebacker who started last year. There's a guy, J.D. Bertrand, who beat out Shane Simon. Now, Bertrand is now the starter because basically two injuries around him, and he's arguably the defensive MVP through two games. He's had a fan, he got the game ball against Toledo. He's had a fantastic year. Um, their front seven creates a lot of negative plays. They'll bring a lot of pressure on Purdue. They, the linebackers, as I said, really good run stuffers. Drew White is back uh, as a fifth-year senior captain, and he's, he's this is his third year starting. He's been a run stuffer since he came into the lineup in 2019. They don't have the name pass rusher that they've had in the past, but Isaiah they've lost five defensive ends to the NFL the last two years. But Isaiah Foskey is a junior. He's he's had even a better start than we thought he might. He has seven and a half. Uh, we call them stuffs, whether tackles for loss or tackles for no gain. Um, good pass rusher. Uh, Adamiola brothers are seniors, and they are really getting after the quarterback. I think what it is, it's more than anything, it's solid, two deep, and almost three deep on the defensive line, which really you can sustain for a whole season because of that. Now, they've had one or two plays where they have a bust, and the play's not made behind them, and those plays have gone for an 89-yard touchdown and a 67-yard run. So statistically, you look and say, well, they can't be doing that well. Really, they are, other than those big plays. So it's about hitting the big plays against Notre Dame because they, they have controlled the line of scrimmage. As much as they have not on the offensive side, they have controlled the line of scrimmage on the defensive side, and I would think they would do that again. It's just about what happens behind them. Right. Uh, from a special team standpoint, what what has stood out in the first two games? Yeah, I think well, Jonathan Dorr is a, one of those so-called super seniors, the guy that was able to come back only because of the COVID eligibility ruling. He won the Florida State game with a 48-yarder. He had another 48-yarder in uh, the fourth quarter to go ahead of uh, Toledo. All that, that sentence just sounds weird, a 48-yarder to go ahead of Toledo in the fourth quarter. <laughs> that's what he did. I mean, he, he missed from 55, but that's you know that's obviously not something that you're you're worried about. They're solid. They're, they're trying to be better in the return game, but so far, Kyron Williams has moved to punt returner, the leading run, the starting running back, and there's just, you know, if you guys watch college football, there's not that many opportunities anymore in the punt game in college football. Notre has basically zero yards of any value in return. They do have their best players back there, though. Chris Tyree is their fastest player. He's a kick returner. And Kyron Williams is one of their best players. He's a punt returner. It's just, you know, it seems like they're kind of legislating special teams out of the out of the, out of the sport, and Notre Dame seems fine with it. No <laughs> way to say it. <laughs> well... We'll see about that. Uh, <laughs> one guy we haven't talked about that the Big Ten fans are familiar with, and Purdue has seen him, is Jack Cohen, uh, the quarterback, when he when he played at Wisconsin. He has put up some really good numbers in the first two games. Um, but what what is the overall feeling of how he's performed? And can, is, he, is, is he a guy that should be the starter you know, for, for the foreseeable future here? And kind of what have you seen out of him these first two games? Yeah, he was the hero of game one, um, probably the MVP, uh, he, and, he and Michael Mayer in that first game against Florida State. And then he won the game with the game-winning drive and a dislocated finger in game two. So if you're a Notre Dame fan that doesn't like Jack Cohen, you have problems right now. However, when Cohen is in, there is zero threat that he's going to ruin. And Toledo, to their credit, the way they were so well-coached defensively, they ignored the keeper part of the read option and just, just totally stuffed Notre Dame's running game when Jack Cohen was in there. That's why freshman Tyler Buckner came in. He relieved Cohen for several series. He ended up being three for three with 78 yards and a touchdown. He also had about 68 yards rushing on seven carries. And most importantly, once handed after a couple long runs, he handed off to Kyron Williams. And you could see the entire Toledo backside defense respect Tyler Buckner's ability to keep the ball. And because of that, Kyron Williams had an easy 43-yard touchdown run. So you're going to see both quarterbacks 
Buckner is the key to the running game. He's a heck of a playmaker. But, I mean, the way Cone has performed when he has time, there's no reason to take Cone out. But he gets pressured, and they just don't run the ball as well with him. I think Notre Dame fans are a little surprised that he's a bit of a statue compared to what they thought. You know, they, they felt a lacrosse recruit would probably be a better athlete than he was able to show at Wisconsin. His stats showed he had run for negative yards in Wisconsin, but you kind of figured that was just a scheme. They didn't run the read option. Right. Um, he he doesn't seem to be a running threat. He might just have to be. He might have to learn to keep it for six yards once in a while because defensive ends are just crashing down on Notre Dame's running backs to the backside. And then the offensive line isn't getting the push it usually does. So you will definitely see two quarterbacks. When you say long haul, I think you're going to see two quarterbacks, a two-quarterback system for Notre Dame until it's proven they can't run it. I mean, I, Buckner's the future. This is Cone's only year. He, Cone's well-respected already and too good not to play, but you need Tyler Buckner because he just makes things happen. Right. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm curious when Purdue goes that route, too. Although plum, plum, plumbers, you know, plumbers mobile, and that's what won him the job, along with some other skills. But they have, um, you know, Austin Burton, who was a transfer from UCLA. He did play last week, but it was forty-nine to nothing. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but he's more of a he's more of a runner. He's more of a dual threat. And and I know Jeff Brown's been trying to move in that direction a little bit with his quarterback play. And I, I'm just. You know, thinking that maybe is this is this the game where he brings that package out and, and tries to at least throw a different wrinkle sure. it, into things. But on the flip side, similar to Cohen, Plummer has played very well. He's got six touchdown passes, no no picks. Uh, he's completing around seventy percent of his passes. Yeah. So he's, <laughs> you're not you're not looking to take him out, but I, I always felt this year would be a year where Purdue would play multiple quarterbacks. Um, want to touch on a, a couple other subjects here with uh, Tim O'Malley from the Irish uh, Illustrated. You know, last week's game against Toledo uh, was on the Peacock Network, which is an all-streaming service, and the belief in the world of athletics, not just college athletics, is that streaming is the next thing that will keep schools funded from a, a media rights standpoint. How, how was the Peacock broadcast and all that received and you know what what is kind of what is the future now for kind of Notre, Notre Dame as they as they look at their TV rights and media rights and how big will Peacock be in the future for them uh, predictably it was not received well there's an older <laughs> fan base for Notre Dame um, Jack has basically said look the future is streaming everybody <laughs> it's just not as easy um, I, I did not I know there was a huge delay which which in the modern era drives people crazy um because a lot of people follow along on twitter and things like that my advice to you is turn off twitter during all sporting events anyway (laughs) but i don't think anyone under 40 is going to listen to me on that one um yeah i don't think it was received exceptionally well uh i I know from our message board i mean of course people were angry the entire game on our message board so who knows what's going on but they weren't weren't happy about the peacock experience Uh, my game copy that i was able to charge the game afterwards was not peacock i had a kind of a nbc copy of it and uh so i didn't watch the entire peacock thing i could i know that <laughs> people would not prefer it but i tell you what you better get used to it because in five years you're gonna be watching things streams that's just i think that's just the way it is has nbc released any numbers as far as additional subscribers they got just for this game or kind of what it, any kind of no, idea not, not that i'm aware of but i mean i was an additional subscriber <laughs> <laughs> I had to rewatch it that way. So I think I mean I think a lot of people were. Um, 
you know, they're, they're already, the stadium was only, that's, eh, I don't want to get this wrong, about 80% capacity, probably. I, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But, I mean, you think that if you didn't want to watch it on Peacock, you would go take in the game at the stadium. But obviously, there's, there's many reasons why Notre Dame didn't fill that stadium. Um, there are no, uh, I think probably some people were scared off because there are no um, COVID protocols. I shouldn't say there are no COVID protocols, but there's no, they kind of announced you don't have to be vaccinated or have a mask on. So I'm sure that scared away some people. I think 2020 made it kind of obvious that you can consume football without being there now. Um, it made it, you know, it's convenient for a lot of people. Um, general malaise of getting butt beat by Alabama and Clemson when you go to the playoffs, I think, <laughs> has a lot of the fans there. You know, this isn't fair at all because he's had such a great run, but when your head coach has been there 12 years and you think you see a ceiling, I think a lot of Notre Dame fans have found a way to watch on TV as well. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think Purdue's going to have some fans in this uh, in this stadium on Saturday. Yeah, they will. Just to have the series back, I mean, it's a big deal for Purdue, but just from a Notre Dame standpoint, uh, probably just another game, but just to have this in-state rivalry back, you know, I think does have adds a little extra layer of juice to, I guess, this weekend. Would you agree? Yeah, I do, and I think it really. I do think it helps Purdue. I'm just not being flippant when I say this. I think it's more of a rivalry for Purdue right. right now than, than it would be for Notre Dame. I mean, I know that in this new millennium, Purdue had a lot of success against Notre Dame, but Brian Kelly's era, they did not. Um, they were down, of course. The five the five years Kelly beat them, they weren't. They didn't field great teams. Um, they had a pretty good team there in 2012, as we discussed. But yeah, Kelly kind of missed the the good Purdue era um, that Charlie Weiss and, and Willie Camp went through. Um, and Davey. Uh, I guess I should just say the Joe Tiller era, right? Right. <laughs> it's the easiest way to say this. Like, there's a common denominator there for Purdue in the last 25 years, and it was Tiller. Um, so I don't think, yeah, I, I think the the rabid dog part of the rivalry might be coming from Purdue, and that's always dangerous when you're a, a host team like Notre Dame. It's kind of like Boston College always had a much bigger chip on their shoulder uh, against Notre Dame coming in here in the pre-Kelly era, too, and then you, that, it worked out for them. Right. And just one other thing, I mean, we, we've, we've we've gone from Oklahoma, Texas, going to the SEC uh, to the other conferences now forming their whatever handshake. We have no written contract alliance that can blow up at any time. But the one thing that struck me about the whole conversation was no one really drug Notre Dame into the the realignment talk. Um, what What does that tell you about kind of their place and and maybe has the message really resonated with people that you know what we're independent so don't even don't even don't even bother i mean is yeah. that is that kind of where do where do how do you see things in that in that regard i think as long as that 12 team proposal for the playoffs comes through notre dame is just safe again from having to lose their independence uh, i know jack swarbuck as the athletic director and notre dame graduate absolutely will not be the athletic director that takes Notre Dame out of independence. He, he is smarter than that for his legacy. <laughs> um, you know, the last year, the way they were able to just kind of use the ACC and leave is <laughs> something that is, I think, sticks in the craw of the ACC, but was, I mean, it helped the ACC and it obviously helped Notre Dame. I, I don't think there are, they're not really poachable right now because they want to have access to the playoff and have a home for their Olympic sports and the new, this current system and the new one gives them that. So they're, they're, they're just, the independence is more important to them than a lot of other things. They do leave money on the table already by being independent. Obviously, they make plenty of money, which is why they're like to leave money on the table. Um, yeah, I think they're independent for the foreseeable future unless, until we get another system. I, you know, as long as they are, look, at they, they have even seated that in this, I, I don't know if Purdue fans know this or not, 
if Notre Dame and the new system, the twelve, if the twelve twelve team system comes out, if Notre Dame is the number one undefeated team in the country, they can't be higher than the number five seed. That is a condition that they actually allowed. Because of the conference championship rule, right? Yeah, because of the conference championship rule. Now they would host a home game in December in a right. playoff, which obviously helps Notre Dame too. But so that made a lot of Notre Dame fans mad. What? How are you twelve and zero and, and not number one or two? Well. I mean, you host a home game against Coastal Carolina in <laughs> yeah. December. You're probably doing okay too, right? So, and I think you want to remind a lot of fans: look, eleven and one Notre Dame probably gets in most years, but ten and two never will get in the playoffs. Obviously, if you're Notre Dame with no conference championship, right? So, ten and two Notre Dame at number eleven or number twelve does then get in the playoffs, right? Well, but that's the price you pay for being an independent, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think Swarbrick realized, like, I'm not, I can't go to the table here. <laughs> Well, uh, this, this, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a clear answer on this, but why why is independence in football so important to Notre Dame? Yeah, I think it's just that it, there's a tradition to it. Um, they 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 really value the USC rivalry. They they owe Navy a debt they can never repay, and they're trying to repay it by pay, playing them all the time. They like the national recruiting base they get by going to play at Texas A&M. They're going to be playing at Ohio State. They're going to be playing at Alabama. These things, in the next few years, they have Alabama, A&M, obviously Clemson, Ohio State, all home and homes. These are just things you don't get if you're not independent, and I think that is still something they hold pretty dear. Uh, it's it, it's a unique situation. I know some people really hate it, that Notre Dame can be independent. It seems like they have their cake and eat it, too. I think this, I think people kind of understand it in that new system that, you know, they, they made some concessions as well. And here's the other thing. They don't have to give it up because Ohio State and Alabama and Texas A&M and Georgia and Tennessee and Florida all want to play Notre Dame. And they all want to go home and home with Notre Dame. So they're, they're, as much as people say join the conference, all of these number one top tier programs are saying, we want to play you. <laughs> and I think that's something that is going to continue. Yeah. So, it, yeah, if you have, it's, you know, it's kind of like supply and demand of, of yeah, our marketplace. If Alabama said, let's play, and Ohio State said, let's play, do you really care that you're other games are not against a conference opponent i mean if you beat alabama and ohio state you can play marshall the rest of the year right it's right. just it's i mean it, it, it's that way for some conferences when conferences are top heavy and that's just you actually if you look at notre dame's schedule next year they're at ohio state to start right they're at usc to end and they host clemson now if you remove those three games and you look at notre dame's schedule you're gonna think this is the weakest notre dame schedule i have ever seen in my life However, they are at Ohio State to start. <laughs> they are at USC to end, and they host Clemson. So it does not matter who else you're playing in the playoff era. That is obviously enough. Right. You know, 11-1 in that. Well, and it's clear those games mean more to Notre Dame, and if they happen right. to win one of those games, they, they feel the value of that stretches yes. farther than being being in a conference. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, – it's interesting, but I, I I found it more interesting that they really didn't get dragged into it this year for yeah, the, for the yeah. first time, and I think there's good reasons why why they're doing that. Uh, all right, Tim O'Malley, Irish Illustrated, appreciate your time today on a variety of topics, but uh, more uh, getting ready for Saturday's game. Hey, appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for your insight. Uh, great job, and uh, hope to see you on Saturday. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, and I, I do think it's going to be another competitive game. I think... Uh... Notre Dame fans have to wait until they're digesting Halloween candy for their first non-competitive game here with this schedule. So, well, <laughs> so thanks for having me on. All right. No, not all a right. problem. Have a good day.